Welcome to the official podcast of Harvest Bible Chapel Indy West. Our desire is to make authentic disciples of Christ who worship Him, walk with Him, and work for Him. You can find more information about Harvest by visiting our website at www.harvestindywest.org or by downloading our app from your app store. We pray today's podcast will encourage your pursuit of Jesus Christ. It is so good to be with you today and uh, on a hot, sticky day. Welcome to Harvest. So good to have you here. Hey, if you would, open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 12. We have... uh, Five Sundays after today left in our series through the first 15 chapters of 1 Samuel. And uh, you're excited about that, aren't you? Okay, second service, you're my quiet group, and I can feel it quiet already. All right? Keep it, keep it rolling, keep it rolling. All right? Uh, here's what I want to do. I want to begin our time with uh, picking up the last couple verses from last Sunday in chapter 11. Uh, let's grab the last couple verses of chapter 11, uh, verses 14 and 15. I'll read them here. Then Samuel said to the people, Come, uh, let us go to Gilgal and there renew the kingdom. So all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. There they sacrificed peace offerings before the Lord, and there Saul and all the men of Israel, they rejoiced greatly. So what's going on here? What we're following here in these chapters of Samuel is we're, we're coming through this process where a new governing leadership structure is coming into place for the people of Israel. Uh, the Israelites, they've gone from a judgeship and now they're moving into a kingship. They're going from Samuel as leader, judge, and prophet to Samuel as prophet and Saul as king. And I think there's a question that can come out of all that in light of me just saying all that. And it's really a two-word question. And the question is this, who cares? Uh, In fact, why don't you ask that of me? Ready? One, two, three, go. Okay, actually, that's a viable question. I'm glad you asked. Glad you asked. Um, I mean, when you think about it, who cares about some governing structure that happened 3,000 years ago and with all that's going on in that time and and what's happening with these people? Well, um, two considerations just as we get started this morning. One, because Scripture is about life with the Lord. Scripture is about life with the Lord. In fact, Romans 15, 4 says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scripture, we might have hope. Hey, I want for you to know that one of the things over these last 10 years that have been the primary thing in my time of preaching here has been, I want for God's people to fall back in love with God's word and therefore the Lord. And in this, the reason why God's word is the central thing, is the big thing here of which everything revolves around and comes out of here, is because God's word is the thing that instructs us about God, who God is, what he is up to, where everything is going, and in that it gives us hope. Because I don't know about you, but life is hard sometimes, right? I mean, life is like really hard sometimes. And sometimes in it, we're just like, God, what in the world are you doing? Have you ever thought that? Oh, yes, you have. Yes, you have. And in it, we're just trying to figure out what in the world is going on. And scripture is the thing that gives us instruction and hope. That's why we're here. And that's why we care. 
what's written. By the way, along with that, I kind of want to add this. Not only is scripture about life with, but so is history. History is about life with. And even so, some of the historical things that are taking place. Oh, let me kind of put it this way. I wrote it down as, remove the technological advancements of today. Remove computers, remove airplanes, remove cars, remove electricity, remove skinny jeans. No, I'm not wearing them. And the fact of the matter is you take all that away and we are broken people. Just like they were. You take away all the glitz and all the, the, the glam of life today and you kind of think back then where it was maybe a bit dusty and old. And when you, but in their day, they thought they were glitz and glam of their day. And the fact of the matter is take away all the other things and we today are wrestling with the exact same issues they were wrestling with back then. Life hasn't changed that much. In fact, I've heard it said in thinking about life with the Lord and what's going on here, I've heard it talked about, think about life as being on a cruise liner out in the middle of the ocean. The cruise liner is headed to a destination. It's headed somewhere of which the people that, have, that live on the vessel, that live on the ship, they do not have control over. Now, I will tell you, I have like zero desire to go on a cruise. You know, for you cruise lovers, God bless you. But the others of us, we were made to be on the land, okay? And so in this, the cruise liner, as I understand it, a cruise liner, all the people that are on it, as they're headed somewhere, the people that are on the cruise, that go on the cruise, they know of the destination to where it's headed. But the fact of the matter is they have zero control over it moving. They're doing life there. They're living life with all together on this ship over the time of history. But it's headed somewhere and they are not in control of it. Even sometimes they think that they are. The fact of the matter is the captain of the ship is the one who's in control of where it's all headed. He's in control of how fast it goes. He's in control of the, the movements as it goes. But he knows where it's headed. And the Christian life and, and all of life is really about that. Friends, we are doing life on a vessel called the earth and it is headed somewhere of which you and I have no control over us taking it where it is. But we are doing life here and the God of the creator, the God of creation, the God who created all things, who made this earth, who put us here, he is headed, having it head somewhere. He's in control of that and yet he's not just in control of that, he cares about what's happening in your and my life. It's not just about getting the boat there. It's also about as the boat is getting there, life is happening on it there. And the Lord is at work in it. And so I bring this into this idea that, listen, it, it matters when we come to Samuel and they're talking even about the things they're talking in their day. Listen, if you're thinking that it's all irrelevant rubbish, I just want to kind of love you back and go rethink that, please. Because actually, this is totally relevant and it is gold, okay? And that's why we're in it, and that's why it matters, and that's why we're gonna continue in chapter 12. And so God, I just ask for your help here as we head in this direction, in this chapter, that you would just, you would just do a work in us. You would, you, you, you would rework in us a desire for you as we talk about what the fear of the Lord is here in this chapter. Father, we see you way too small. That's just the reality. Help us to see more of you. Give us hope. Give us instruction from your word, I pray. In Christ's name, amen. So 1 Samuel 12. Man, there's a boatload of things we could talk about and feast on today. 
but I'm going to kind of keep it centered on one thing here. Um, we'll be touching on some various ones as we walk through the text, but uh, the subject that I want us to be considering is the fear of the Lord, and the fear of the Lord and what that is, because the text talks quite a bit about it. So let's begin by doing this, and uh, kind of what the text does is it takes us a, from a couple looks at this. And so we begin with considering Samuel. In fact, Samuel is considering Samuel, and Samuel is talking about himself. And Samuel, here is a guy who lived a, a life of faithful integrity. Let me read uh, verses 1 through 5. And Samuel said to all Israel, behold, by the way, anytime you see the word behold in the Bible, it's intended to kind of like perk your ears up, and there's quite a few beholds in this chapter. Behold, I have obeyed your voice and all that you have said to me and have made, and have made a king, Saul, over you. And now behold, the king, Saul, walks before you, and I am old and gray. I'm so feeling that. More ways than you may know. And I am old and gray, and behold, my sons are with you. I have walked before you from my youth until this day. Here I am. Testify against me before the Lord and before his anointed Saul the king. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with? By the way, his sons did. Testify against me and I will consider it to you. They said, you have not defrauded us or oppressed us or taking anything from any man's hands. And he said to them, the Lord is witness against you. By the way, that's not like a threat statement so much. The Lord is witness against you and his anointed uh, King Saul is witness this day that you have not found anything in my hand. And they said, he is witness. He is witness. Do I have a witness? We'll work on that. So what's going on here? Um, uh, by the way, in the English Standard Version, the beginning of chapter 12, it has a headline there just to help us walk through, and it says Samuel's farewell address. I think that's horribly noted. It's not a farewell dress, address at all. Samuel's actually going to be around all the way through like chapter 25, chapter 28 yet. And, and so really what's going on is this is a transition address. And uh, it's an important thing. It's a transition ad address. Um, in this, as we read that, one could kind of get the idea, particularly in our day with politics that's been going on for the last decades, really, of most of our lives, uh, one could kind of walk away from this and go, man, he sounds like he's being awful arrogant in this, doesn't it? It's kind of like this just annoying, self-serving, political legacy-building, posturing thing. Oh, it just so drives me nuts. Who cares about you? Die, go away. And we move on, okay? You know what I mean by that. that sounded rude, didn't it? I, I didn't, didn't mean it that way. Preach the gospel, die, and let's keep moving. I'll keep moving. <laughs> I just want for you to know Samuel's not doing that. That's not what's going on here with Samuel. Samuel is not politically posturing himself. He's not preparing everyone to build him a library with his name on it. That's not what's going on. He's not patting himself on the leadership back here. I stead, and instead, I think what Samuel really is doing is he is helping the people to understand that there are leaders that can lead and be leaders with faithful integrity. You've got to remember they come from a whole centuries now of time where they've had very few leaders of integrity. And I don't think this is a chance for Samuel to go, look at me, aren't I awesome? Build me a library. 
I think really what's going on is Samuel is helping them, engaging them in, and the reality, in the humbleness of it all, stating truth. Listen, by the Spirit of God, by the work of God in my life, I have been faithful to you. I have not done that right. I have not done that right, and I have done that right. Listen, and I think now in this transition time, he's helping not only the people, but he's also helping Saul, the king, to, to, to hopefully further whet his appetite. I want to be like that. We want a king like that. We want more leaders like that. We want leaders like that, right? Men and women of integrity? Wow. Stand up for them. We want that. They wanted that. And so I think Samuel in here, he's helping the people think out loud, if I could say it that way. He's helping them think out loud, and he's leading them in it. He was a leader that was not corrupt. As a leader, he did not defraud As a leader, he did not oppress. As a leader, he did not take bribes. And all the people knew that and they affirmed that. Samuel was a leader that was not like the nations. And yet, all the people wanted a king like the nations. I think this is an opportunity for Samuel in this transitory movement of having Saul as king and him moving over into just this prophet role, he is making a clear statement almost in a final transitory address to the people. By the way, there's hope in this. Because Samuel was not God in the flesh. Samuel was a regular man, a regular human, And Samuel here is giving, uh, kind of declaring the reality of the leading as a man, as a human in this. And he gives us hope in the fact of this. Listen, friends, Samuel is not saying he's perfect. Know this, Samuel was not perfect. But in it, he was faithful in his integrity. And that gives you and I hope that we, by the work of the Spirit of God in our lives, last Sunday, chapter 11, that we can will and want that as well. There's hope for you. There's hope for me. And I hope out of this, this is even a declaration, I can say for me in the role that I play here, it's like, oh God, I want that. And you should be at that place where it's like, oh God, I want that. I want that faithful integrity to be a truth, whether I'm involved in governing, whether I'm involved in business, whether I'm involved at my home, whether it's school or parenting or grandparenting, or whether it's marriage or whether it's as a single person, whether it's a teen, whether it's in your 20s, whether it's in your 30s, whether it's in your 40s, whether it's in your 50s, whether it's in your 60s, whether it's in your 70s, and beyond, right? Right? Listen, this should be the kind of thing to where it's not, uh, listen, don't go uh, this Sunday and and go uh, by my own strength thinking in this. This is not like, okay, I'm going to man up, I'm going to woman up, and I'm going to make this happen now. No, you're going to fail. Instead, it's last Sunday when we talked about the whole thing we are desperate for and dependent upon the Spirit of God to work in us, to will and to want. That's what should be happening in this. God, I want to have, be a man, I want to be a woman of faithful integrity unto you. And that means the only way I can be that, the only way that I can do that is to be face down, dependent and desperate on the Spirit of God to work in me, to will and to want that. God, have at me. 
Don't man up, don't woman up. It doesn't work that way. And in fact, the reality is, man, that should cause you just to go, phew, I can't do that. But by God at work in you, he can do that through you. Well, that's Samuel. Let's uh, consider Yahweh, because that's what he does, the righteous deliverer. Let me read verses 6 through 13. Samuel said to the people, the Lord, Yahweh, is witness. <laughs> I think that's so cool, because he was just saying uh, uh, witness, and they said, he is witness, and now he's talking about the Lord. The Lord is witness, who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Verse 7, now therefore, stand still that I may plead with you before the Lord isn't that cool, by the way? It's like, okay, everybody, would you just stop for a minute? Uh, stand still. They didn't have seats and all this wonderful stuff that we have here, but it's like, stand still. Listen, I want to plead with you for a moment. We know his full intention. We know the full intention on the table. He's not giving a history address. He's pleading for people to hear what he has to say. So might I say this? Let's hear what he has to say. Now therefore, stand still that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning, concerning what? Concerning all the righteous deeds of the Lord. Like, let's just stop and think of Yahweh for a little bit. That's a good exercise. All the righteous deeds of the Lord that he performed for you and for your fathers. In other words, what God has done in your life and what God has done preceding your life. And if the Lord is, 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 if you're like, I can't think of anything the Lord in me right now. Okay, that's another discussion. But listen, what the Lord has done in the past. Because the Lord has been active. And what he has done in the past tells who he is in the now. And he performed for you. And for your fathers, verse 8, when Jacob, here we go, when Jacob went into Egypt, so we're all the way back to Egypt, and the Egyptians oppressed them, then their fathers, they cried out to the Lord, and the Lord sent Moses. By the way, who sent Moses? The Lord did. Moses didn't send himself. He's like, what? A burning bush talking to me? The Lord sent Moses and Aaron, who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. By the way, I hope maybe you're grabbing some of this. You were here last Sunday, a part of what's going on. He's going all the way back to Egypt where they were enslaved. That fits with the last Sunday, if you remember that, enslavement. And, and they cry out to the Lord, and the Lord sends a deliverer to people crying out unto him. And then that deliverer brings them out. The Lord sent Moses and Aaron who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place, verse 9. But they, the people, they, they then forgot the Lord their God. When we forget what God has done, we, you and I, are in trouble. When we get stuck on how bad it is now, when we forget what God has done, you got to understand, the people who are forgetting what God has done are the people that God brought out of slavery. Those people. 
the very people that God did an amazing and a marvelous work in their lives, they're the ones who forgot God. Like, come on, dudes. But at the same time, it's like, how often do you and I do that? See, we're just like them. We get it. And the Lord knows that. But they forgot the Lord their God, and he sold them into the hand of Sisera, commander of the army of Hazar, and into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab. Why would God do such a hard thing? Um, To try and love on them. To call their attention back to him. When someone forgets, they need help remembering. And we're stubborn. I don't know. I'm not talking to the person next to you. I'm talking to you and me. We are stubborn thinking people. And we commonly forget what God has done because we're so embraced and and stuck in the here and the now that we forget what God has done. And we don't carry it into the now. And yet, sometimes in the now, what God is doing is trying to get our attention by causing life to be hard because we kind of need to be corrected. If this were just guys talking, I'd say we kind of need to be slapped upside the head. And so the Lord allowed them to kind of get slapped upside the head. Verse 10 And then here we go. And they cried out to the Lord and said, we have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord. It's a cycle. And have served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. But now deliver us out of the hand of our enemies that we may serve you. And the Lord sent Jerubbabel or Gideon and Barak and Jephthah and Samuel and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side and you lived in safety. And when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, no, but a king shall reign over us when the Lord your God was your king. Oh, by the way, last Sunday when we were reading through the text, because I try and preach kind of how you read through the text, I brought up the thing of, I wonder if Nahash had anything to do with them saying, we want a king like the nations. Now we come to the next chapter and we find out that was a key part of it. Because of what Nahash's pressure uh, coming in against them, uh, that was part of why we want a king like the other nations. And verse 13, and now behold, the king whom you have chosen, or whom you have asked, behold, the Lord has set a king over you. By the way, you could have a great time talking about free will and predestination right there. Because you have chosen, but the Lord has set. I'm not going there today, but it's cool. What's going on? Samuel is referencing the Lord and this whole process with his people. Listen, understand, that's the context. The context is the Yahweh, God, at work with his people. And the context of that is telling us the cycle that goes on. God's people are oppressed, enslaved in Egypt, or during the period of the judges, or with Nahash. Then God's people cry out for deliverance. Because when we're oppressed, we cry out. And then the Lord sends a deliverer. He sent Moses, he sent Gideon, he sent Samuel. Oh, by the way, if I have it right, oh, the Lord also sent Jesus. And the deliverer delivers them out. 
He delivers them out to a promised place. He delivers them out to a safety place. And then, as time goes on, God's people forget the Lord again. (laughs) Repeat and repeat and repeat. And again, before we get too arrogant and go, those losers, let's just remember, that is my life reality and that is your life reality. And the Lord knows it. And yet, here's the hope. The Lord never bags out on his people. He may allow them to have some hard times. He may press into them and push them in ways they never asked for. But God never leaves you or forsakes you. Never. Really, is that for sure? Yeah, great commission, Matthew 28. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, dot, 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 in the next verse, because I will never leave you or forsake you. It's an Old Testament truth, it's a New Testament truth, and it's a truth today. Yahweh's people, we fail and we fall, but Yahweh does not desert them. He does not leave them or forsake them, even though in our faithlessness, he is faithful Even in our faithlessness, he is faithful. That'd be a great time for like an amen, hallelujah. He, right? Or a booyah. (laughs) So we've seen verses one through five that God's grace, by God's grace, Samuel did life with faithful integrity. And that verses 6 through 13, Yahweh is the God King who is the righteous deliverer of his covenant people for his namesake and glory. So what should we be considering? Let's consider ourselves and the fear of the Lord. Because that's really what Samuel wants us to do here. Let me pick up verse 14. Notice, by the way, verses 14 and 15 begins with two uh, conditional clauses. I actually sounded smart right there for a second. Um, If, if you, it's conditional. There there is something in here, so pay attention. This isn't, by the way, these are God's people. These are not God's people earning to become God's people. These are God's people that he's talking to. And he just says this. If you will fear the Lord and serve him, and obey his voice, and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord. And if both you and the king, who is Saul, remember he's talking to the people there, who reigns over you, will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. But, if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. And by the way, his hand will be against you and your king in a loving manner to bring you back, as we just saw. Let's sit on this for a little bit. If you will fear the Lord, serve the Lord, obey his voice. Fear the Lord. Let's work through this. It's how you view and how you see God. I'd term it this way. It's your awe of God. Question, what is your awe of God? I could say, what is your view of God? How impressive is God? Seriously, for real. I mean, it's like, look at me, seriously, for real. 
not just in, in, in what I want it to be, but for real. How big is God to you right now? Because I'm going to tell you, this tells the whole story of why you do what you do in your life. The serving and the obeying comes out of the fearing issue. It's how big you see your God tells you everything about how you are thinking on life, looking at life, and how you are doing life right now. I mean, when you ponder God, what goes through your mind? Is it just like confusion? Hey, there's hope for you. Like, let's start getting unconfused. There's always things we will never fully understand about God. Get good with that. Because God's bigger than us. I mean, when you finally get to the point where you're like, I totally get God and I totally got him, you're in trouble. Because you've just made God like you. There should always be wonder. There should always be a sense of, I, I can't grasp him. There should always be that there. But, but what is God? On a scale of one to ten, how in awe of God are you? How would the Lord answer that? The reality of that question tells you everything about you and doing life with the Lord. In fact, while you're pondering that, let me mention some passages. Maybe turn with me. Psalm 111. Psalm 111. Verse 10, talking on the fear of the Lord here. Psalm 111, verse 10. It says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord, the awe of the Lord preempts wisdom. You want to become wise in the Lord? Then you need to understand more of the Lord. It starts there. It starts with understanding, being in awe of, seeing who God is. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Uh, Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. Proverbs 9, verse 10. Again, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Listen, listen, listen. The fear of the Lord, the awe of the Lord comes out of coming to learn who God is. And, and if you're kind of like, yeah, so honestly, just between you and me, I mean, or just between me and God, I'm not so impressed by God. Okay, let, let's get some further understanding then of who God is. Because who God is drives everything. Everything. And if God is small, then I'm telling you, you are going to live a small life for the Lord. It's just a fact. And so the question is, how, how do I grow in the Lord? Well, well, let's keep working here. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, everybody's favorite book of the Bible. It actually is one of mine. The very end of it, Solomon goes off the rails. Just like, psycho in this passage here and then in verse 13 or through the whole book and then in verse 13 
It says the end of the matter. It's like this is the end of everything he's been talking about. He's like, life matters. No, life doesn't matter. Work matters. No, it doesn't matter. All this stuff. And then it says, here's the end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God. That's the starting point. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. That's it. It starts with fear God, growing in your understanding of who God is, and, and, and blow that up bigger and bigger. Turn to John, because I just want for you to know it's not just an Old Testament truth. John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Verse 15, Jesus is talking here. And in verse 15, he says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Have you always wondered what he's talking about with that? If you love me, like what do you mean if you love me? Oh, by the way, in case we got like a typo there, over in verse 23, Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he or she will keep my word. Let's keep, we're gonna go to 1 John. 1 John towards the end, right before Revelation. 1 John, in fact, Pastor Cody's gonna be preaching five weeks on 1 John here coming up and I'm setting him up. Right, Cody? <laughs> or he's going to clear it up. Okay. <laughs> First John chapter 2, look at verses 3 and 4. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. The truth is not in him. Go to chapter 5, verse 3. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. Here's what's going on. One more. Go to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. What is the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord is Revelation chapter 1. John, one of the apostles, who was with Christ for three years, saw him resurrected, saw him ascend into the heavens. I mean, of anybody who had a human, amazing view of God, and John here comes before the resurrected, glorified, magnified Jesus Christ. John, Revelation chapter 1, verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet, though dead. Even seeing him die on the cross, risen from the grave, ascended into heaven, he still didn't have a full view of who God was. And he comes and he sees the resurrected, glorified, magnified Jesus Christ, and he falls on his face thinking he's going to die because he's so much grander. Oh, by the way, Revelation chapter 4 and 5. Revelation chapter 4, the whole thing. And then then chapter 5, who's worthy to open the scroll? And behold, the lion, the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he has conquered. And then it's, I saw a lamb standing, one that has been slain. I love this. Verse 9, and we're in the heavenly scene here. And what's going on? They sing a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll because you, to open its seals, you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people from, from every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. You have made them a kingdom, a priest of the world. And then the choir gets bigger. Then others join in. Worthy is the lamb who was slain with honor and glory and blessing. And then all of creatures in heaven and on earth, verse 13, and under the earth and in the sea, yep, all the fishies are saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever. Listen, what is going on? Why are they doing that? Because he is so grand and so magnificent that they are stunned 
And they give him worship and glory and honor. And so you ask yourself, don't they get bored in heaven? No. Why? Because they are so enthralled with the Godhead that they don't even have to do anything for eternity. And listen, loved one, we come all the way back to 1 Samuel chapter 12, and Samuel is trying to drive home with God's people. Listen, here's the thing. Grow in your awe of who God is. And I understand life is not easy. Trust me, I get it. Life is overwhelming. Trust me, I get it. Life is confusing. Trust me, I get it. And so did Samuel. And the time when we fall and fail is when God becomes so puny and distant. And the call is small me, big God. By the way, what was the problem in the book of Judges? Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. What's that saying? That's saying big me, small God. You see, I'm so big on what I think that I'm going to do what I want. Because what I want is the most important thing. What's going on in heaven is not what they want. What's going on in the heavenlies in Revelation 4 and 5 is all the heavenlies are so enthroned by who God is that they can't get enough of it. And they'll do anything, anywhere, anytime. And more of that in me, more of that in you, right? Jerry Bridges says this, by the way. Jerry Bridges, The, fear, or the Joy of Fearing God book you might want to consider reading. Jerry Bridges, The Joy of Fearing God, says this. A profound sense of awe toward God is undoubtedly the dominant element in the attitude or set of emotion that the Bible calls the fear of God. This reverential awe is a mixture of fear, veneration, wonder, and admiration, all directed toward God himself. This profound sense of awe toward God is what provides the motivation and the driving force for all the other elements that together make up the biblical portrait of fearing God. And he says, the fear of God is the animating and invigorating principle of a godly life. It is the wellspring of all godly desires and aspirations. So when Jesus said, and 1 John says, if you love me, it's talking about this idea of if you are enthralled with me, if you have this grand awe of me, you will obey my commandments. And just like I said last week, hey, some of you need to stop trying so hard to please God. Some of you need to stop trying so hard to please God in your own strength. And come back and learn who he is again. And be enthralled by him. And blown away by him. And he becomes your identity.
And out of that, we will serve the Lord. The bigger God is, the more we want to serve him. And by the way, I think serving here, as it's talking in text, is more of a mindset of it all. It's like, listen, when God is big, I will will delightfully do what he wants. I will serve him. And out of that, then I will obey his voice. John 14, 1 John 2 and 5. Your obedience to the Lord is directly tied to your fear and awe of the Lord. So if you look at your life, and in all reality, it's like a no obeying reality, the problem is you, you have a big view of you and a small view of God. Just cutting to the chase of the practicality of it all. If you are so enthralled in you, you are going to do what you want. And everything is going to hinge on how your life goes. But if you are increasingly enthralled in who God is, you are going to want more of that. You're going to want more of him. You are going to want to be more of a peace. Man, I want to be on that team, in that team, on the field playing that team. So why was Samuel a man of faithful integrity? I would say because the Spirit of God was at work in him and he had a big view of God. That's it. I'm serious. Sometimes we so complicate things. And it's really not that complicated. It's hard. You and I are broken people. And the creator God of the universe has not bagged out on you. In fact, we'll read here as we'll finish the rest here. In fact, in it, we ask the question, why, why, why does he even allow this to go on? Right? Haven't you ever asked that? Because in it all, it brings him glory. See that in just a second. And the Lord puts up with you and I with whatever you have done. Well, Pastor Doug, you don't know what I've done. You're right, I don't. You don't know what I've done. And the Lord does not back out on you. One more time. And the Lord does not back out on you. Sometimes he'll press into you for the purpose of drawing you. Sometimes he allows hard things to happen. And we wrestle in it. And we fail in it. But he never leaves you if you know Christ as your Savior. Doug, can you prove that this is so primary? Yeah, I, the text can. Now I gotta move quickly. Because what's the very first thing that God's going to do after saying all this? Here's a suggestion. If the fear of the Lord really is such a big deal, then would it not maybe be fitting that the Lord would help them in that? Maybe after, right after Samuel learns that, or says that, you know what? If you come to an increased, I call you to an increased awe of God, that God is going to help them awe him more. Right? Wouldn't that make sense? Yep. Look at God. Verse 16, now therefore stand still 
and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. It's like, I want to show you myself. The Lord is. Verse 17, is it not wheat harvest today? This is, in that time, it's May, June. In May, June, it hardly ever rained. Hardly ever rained. So if a rain ever happened, it was like really awesome or really freaky or really tragedy because everything would just flood. Okay, so it's in the wheat harvest time. I will call upon the Lord that he may send thunder and rain. Sometimes don't you just wish you could do that? That would just be so cool. But I think we would hold it to ourselves. And you shall know and see that your wickedness is great. (laughs) Okay. Which you have done in the sight of the Lord in asking for yourselves a king. So, verse 18, Samuel called upon the Lord and the Lord sent thunder. By the way, in the Hebrew, it kind of has this idea. The Lord sent voice and rain. Thunder. That's the voice in it all. That day, not a year later, not a month later, it's like after I plead for you to hear about the fear of the Lord, here's the deal. God's gonna help us fear him. God's gonna help us awe him. And so that day, all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel, by the way. (laughs) That's interesting, isn't it? Loved ones, how big is your view of God? That's the, that's boiling it down to the very core of it all. Because you live your life out of that. And if God is nonsensical, your life will fit that. If God is irrelevant, your life will fit that. If God is a big giant question ball, your life will fit that. If God is your savior and redeemer, your life will begin fitting that. And if God is the one who sits on the throne, if the Savior is the one of Revelation 4 and 5, and we begin to hold him bigger and bigger and grab a hold of him more and more and understand him deeper and deeper, that he never leaves you, he never leaves you. As many times as you and I just like, God. Never. And as we behold that and as we get more awe of that, it's, it's like, listen, it's not about emotions. It starts at the core of an understanding. And out of that understanding, listen, 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 You emotionless people, I'm telling you, in heaven, you're going to be all over the place in emotion. Okay? I'm not saying you're bad for being that at all. Hey, some of you over-emotion people, you need to understand and hear and base your thinking and your life upon Scripture and who God is. And out of that, all of this comes together as knowledge comes Fire comes, exuberance comes, even when it's hard. And they greatly feared the Lord. The Lord turbocharged them in their understanding. And let's finish. Verse 19. And all the people said to Samuel, look at what it did. Pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die. Revelation 1. Isn't that interesting? For we have added to our sins this evil. They are seeing their evilness and ask for ourselves a king. They even see the specificity of what it is. And Samuel said to the people, do not be afraid. Isn't that cool? 
By the way, Revelation chapter one, right after the verse I just read to you about John fell as though he's gonna die, what's the Lord do? Takes his right hand, puts it on his shoulder, and he says, do not be afraid. I'm telling you, that's our God. But look at this, do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. This is why I'm just the kind of guy, I'm tired of the games. I'm tired of the religious pomposity, if that's even a word. I'm tired of all that. I'm tired of the image before. And this is sometimes why I talk about, listen, we are the ones, before God, we are losers, we are rejects, we are the island of misfits. And by stating that and understanding that, small me, big God, it's not taking ourselves down and always, no, but in it, it's seeing the reality of we are sinners separated from a holy God. And that God, in his grace and his kindness, for his glory, has sent his son, the second person of the Trinity, to come and to provide salvation for us sorry people in our sin, that we could be able to have relationship back with the God of all creation for all of eternity. Booyah! Man, I'm worked up. And Samuel said to the people, do not be afraid, you have done all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. What are you trying to get? What are you basing your self-identity in? What are you trying to make happen to make you happy? If it's anything outside of who the Lord is, it is empty. And we've got stories all around this room we could tell. I know the story of business success. I know the story of business wealth. And I'm telling you, in the end of it all, it's fine. You can do a lot of things with that. But in the end of it all, so many wealthy people are so sad because it's empty. Verse 22, for the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Why does he continue on? Because it pleases the Lord. But why does he put up with me? Why does he put up with you? Because it pleases the Lord. Not, he's not playing to please. He in it is working and he gets grand pleasure out of seeing sorry, hopeless people come to know him and have hope in him. Verse 23. Moreover, as far from me, Far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. And I will instruct you in the good and right way. That's a big one for me personally. Verse 24. Only fear the Lord. And serve him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. 
But if you still do, still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. Lord, I need to stop there. And I'm going to ask that you would do a work that only you can do. Lord, you know that we have a very hard time. We struggle to see you as magnificent and marvelous and big. We're so caught up in the world around us and in things around us and in our identity around us that it's really hard. And we admit that. And you know that. You know it's hard for us. And yet, as a loving father, you endure, you never leave, you never forsake. And God, I would just pray this morning that there would just be a sense of awe as we leave this room today that we would carry an increased sense of awe who you are. A sense of hope. Father, for the person in this room who doesn't know what it is to have a relationship with you that has never driven the stake in the ground and received Christ as their Savior, God, I pray that they would ask someone, they would talk with someone. I want to have that kind of relationship. I want to be forgiven of my sins and a child of God, and I want to begin that journey of growing and understanding who God is. Father, I pray that they would ask. And God, for your children in this room, we need to see you more. I need to see you more. Every one of us is struggling with something. And I would ask that you would do a work of the Spirit of God in our lives corporately to will us and to want us to your good pleasure increasingly so in it, that we would come, we would dive into your word and work at beholding you more, seeing you more out of the truth of scripture, that we would grab a hold of you and your greatness, that even in our inability to fully understand you and, and even in our reality of having questions about why and how and all those kinds of things, God, that we would be enthralled by you, that we would behold you and that we would see you bigger. Because we tend to see you small. And we need your help. We desperately, in full dependence upon you, need your help to see you as you are, increasingly so. In Christ's name.